welcome to the season 2 of the in your shoes podcast the podcast aims to get into the shoes of a person like you and me and learn from their career stories and experiences through this conversation we will uncover insights and pearls of wisdom which will hopefully inspire you and expand your thinking we're doing something different this season apart from a full length show we will also expand on topics of interest that emerge during the conversation these will be distributed as special episodes which are short targeted and provide you with the context when you are short on time let us get right into it hey manuel it's so great to finally get to speak to you thank you so much for showing interest in my curiosity knowing more about you and getting on the podcast thank you so much for the invitation i i have to say i quite like the idea of this podcast and um as a listener as well of just hearing how people in different careers different um industries have have come to have become what they are so it's i hope today's episode will be interesting as well absolutely thank you so much and uh, to make sure people listening to the podcast get to know who you are um can you just give give us a little bit about yourself on who you are where you're speaking from and uh, what are you what is your job what is your profession today uh, in the moment of course um so i'm manuel paish i'm originally from lisbon portugal and um I've moved around a bit so I've lived in a few different countries and uh now I live in Madrid in Spain um happened to end up here for for work 10 years ago and uh, now I have a beautiful family with three kids so I'm probably going to stick around here for a little while more and um yeah I'm I'm almost 44 years old so I've been um in the industry of software engineering let's say for about uh, 20 years uh, and a little bit more so mm, i graduated as a computer engineer in 2000 and then um throughout my career i've had a number of different roles from developer to tester to team lead until i actually became a consultant around devops and continuous delivery and finally these days are more known as the one of the authors of the book team topologies that came out in 2019 fantastic um i i just really want to share with the audience uh, of this podcast i i absolutely love the book i think it brings together a lot of uh, you know prevalent and also interesting ideas around building for flow making sure you're building teams uh, which are successful productive Uh, so thank you so much uh, uh, you and thank also you. Matthew for inspiring the generations of uh, engineers engineering leaders and uh, organizations around the world i have been also gifting this book a lot of people who have been asking me this question so i absolutely love the content and the way you presented this very concise to the point and i think it's like as i said it it's it's always accessible Uh, and you can always go back to it it's it's not like you read through it and you're done it's like a reference so you can always come back to it and uh and thank you so much for writing it now th- thank you for your kind words and that was one of our our goals to write a book that you can go back to and and 
re um, reread some of the some of some parts to remember you know how how does this work or uh, what was this other pattern and I also want to say that we're we're obviously standing on the shoulder of giants there's a lot that um, uh, we we brought into the book in a way by combining these different aspects that people know about but maybe not as a as a coherent whole around you know things like Conway's law, uh, trust boundaries, um, many different things, cognitive load, many different things that what we did was really bring them together in a consistent way to think about teams, to think about how the way we set up teams um, either enables or um, slows down the, the flow in, in our organizations. But also just to fin finalize, Fundamentally, for me, it, what kind of the indirect goal of the book is to make life better for people in those teams, that they feel a more uh, more sense of uh, purpose and autonomy, and that they're contributing to um, the purpose of of the obviously of the company that they work for, but in a in a healthy way, right? Not that they're just following orders or you know trying to keep up with. Um, unreasonable demands or, or whatever might be happening. So that's sort of the the humanistic view behind the the ideas in the book is hopefully um, at the end of the day, it helps make the workplace a little bit um, better while at the same time, obviously has the goal of helping organizations uh, be more fluid, if you like, and, and understand better what are the actual streams of value and how do we organize the teams and we identify gaps in teams perhaps that we need to to address back to the basics to the foundation uh you know someone really wise and smart told me once that uh every author or a book that they write um is not written at one point of time. It's constantly being written over time. And it's suddenly <laughs> one find it emerges in paper. So my assumption is the same. And I really want to go back since the time you obviously joined industry and your early experiences that perhaps led to you writing this book along with Matthew. Uh, take us to that part of your journey, really beginning of your career. Uh, as you said, you spent a lot of time working in different setup, different organizations. What was the experience like and what were some of the things that you observed there that really brought you and made you that you need to really write a book like that? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And in fact, when I look back, and if I, if I look backwards from the book as sort of the, the, um, the recent outcome, and then I, th I think about how I got there. It's really like this amazing chain of ev events and experiences. So that's that's a good uh, a good question. Um, I think one of the the, the key things that kind of helped me move forward and and sort of contributed to to uh, writing the book at the end is is curiosity to to learn to not just improve the way that I was uh, working, but actually learn more about other um, areas around uh, around me. Um, and that's, 
I think what sort of led me to have sort of a number of different roles in a relatively short period of time, around you know, uh, 10, 15 years. But I, I, you know, when I graduated, first thing you do is become a programmer, a developer. Back in 2000, that's that was basically it. Um, and then um, I started in in a, in a very small kind of company. Um, and then I've, I've moved on to other roles around build and release management because I was interested in kind of the the sort of the mechanisms that help us deliver the, the work that the developers were doing. Um, and then uh, in this kind of role, I had experience both at a kind of a larger company and um, also a public organization in, in Belgium. So it's an European agency for air traffic control. So quite big, quite different also from the private industry. Um, and it helped me to see the differences and the similarities between different organizations. Um, one thing that I always, always seemed to me like it was not really um, helpful in the sense of many teams were kind of specialized in their own kind of domain, right? And there, were, there was often this kind of back and forth in terms of who is responsible for what, especially when problems happened. Um, and it just seemed to me like going through kind of a a very, um, I would I would say process with some you know blame where people are trying to shed the blame uh, from from themselves and it always felt like I'm not sure this is really what what we should be be doing right if we want to to achieve good results um, and then I've again changed I, I I then moved from Belgium um, I did a master's in software engineering because I wanted to kind of uh, refresh what I knew um, so that was quite interesting to take a year off basically to to study again um, and then that's when I came to Madrid in 2011 uh, working again for a smaller company um, where obviously, I, by then, I started having even more kind of perspective on the kind of more common problems you see in small organizations where things are a bit more chaotic and there's a very strong drive to deliver uh, what the client wants because the company has to 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 prove that it has, um, you know, that, that it has a, a place and that it, it's going to survive versus that very large or public organization I was talking about earlier where things are very established and sometimes you lack that drive to, okay, let's actually focus on the customers versus what is the work that we need to do because you know our, our boss or the boss of our boss tells us that's what we need to do. Um, so looking at those different perspectives and then I also then became a consultant around 20, 2015 and that again gave me another perspective, especially 
on the expectations that clients often often have from from consultants, and um, sometimes uh, very high expectations in terms of they expect consultants to, to fix problems that in fact require the 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 organizations to do a, a lot of thinking or a lot of uh, yeah. Um, changing the ways that they they are used to work and so that's not always easy and um yeah all this this mix of experiences really led me to i guess feel more empathy to other roles even within within our um industry so that i'm not you know humans are very strongly attached to one uh group that they identify with so i'm I feel like I kind of moved away from not just identifying as a developer or identifying as a tester or identifying as a, a DevOps person, but actually my experience helped me look at what's you know what's good and bad and and what are the problems and challenges that these different roles tend to to face, and that gave me a broader perspective, which obviously was important for a, a sort of a input to to the book as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I think they really enjoyed, you know, uh, listening to you about the range of experiences that you had in your initial part of your career. Um, I think one is exposed to different varieties of challenges. And I think one of the things which I really connect that to the book is about organizational context, uh, understanding what's happening in an organization and not just looking at, you know, in the industry or the best practices and just applying uh, a very interesting article, or I think it was written some years back, was like people were trying to copy the Apple model of leadership and the way they do product development. And uh, somebody, I think, really commented on that is only this model can work at Apple and Apple scale. And uh, definitely companies who are trying to go in that model will not work. I think uh, I really like, like the idea about bringing that organizational context in, in here. But I want to bring back to the point, I think you mentioned something very interesting is around empathy for different roles. Tell me a little bit about that, that part itself. Like how did, you, how did you express that empathy? How did that form for yourself? What were you seeing on the ground that led you to see and build that empathy for other roles? Um, yeah, I think just experiencing the, the work itself, um, you know, the, the sort of stereotypes that you see in, in the industry, I think we're we're moving forward and away from some of the stereotypes, but um, obviously varies a lot. But as a developer, the, the people think you don't care about uh, the runtime, that you just do, do code and then just throw it over the wall to to the ops people. Um, and while that, that might be the case in some situations, but I think in general, um, it's it's more right i've found out that it's likely when that happens is because people were put in a situation that they were kind of that was kind of uh pushed as as the the it was almost the incentive or they or the the consequence of the situation they were put in because if you set up your team so that some people only code and some people only do operations um then that's what's likely going to end up happening. So there is a part which is, I think the part where this, this would be kind of part of the 
you know personality of people is is not so so strong right it's really more driven by the 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 structures and the sort of socio technical system you feel like that is around them uh, the way that we set up our teams the way we set up incentives in organizations and so on um, and then I, I had the same experience then being a tester where, uh, especially in, in, let's say, not very agile organizations where uh, we were seen as the people who were blocking the delivery and who, you know, were very, um, um, were too, too strict or too um, detail-oriented and, you know, the blocking the delivery when um, internally, the, the the team was really focused on you know we need to ensure the quality for our customers so um, this sort of misalignment between what teams internally are trying to achieve which is I think always or almost always unless you have a very dysfunctional team but um, otherwise almost always the team is trying to do a good thing is trying to help the organization in the way they think the 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 organization should should be helped right. Um, and that's very much determined by uh, leadership. What is the message that they they pass, uh, especially through example, not just what they say, but what they, they actually do, and how people are, you know, uh, review their performance when that's the case, or how um, teams are are put in place, how they interact with each other, or they don't interact, uh, like when you have teams that only communicate through JIRA tickets and things like that, that's obviously going to lead to more and more entrenched silos, right? Where inside the team, they're trying to do their best, but they don't have enough um, awareness of what other teams are doing. And so for me personally, I saw this happening in organizations, but as I as I changed roles and I changed organizations, I could see the patterns repeat and I could see how um, from the other team's point of view, you know, there was uh, a lack of empathy that was coming from lack of knowledge, really, lack of awareness of what, what other teams are doing, what kind of challenges are they facing. Because when we limit the, the communication too much and we're trying to manage by process, um, then that's what tends to happen, right? People don't really communicate enough. They just trying to follow a process that someone defined and is supposed to be the, the right way to do things. Right. I think this is a very interesting way to put it. I think it's just about, like what you said is building empathies. I think one of the things is really goes well for you that you had experiences across different sort of roles. So, so tester working in the operations team and also different scale of organizations. I'm quite interested to also go a little bit more around your experience as you said you went for your masters and uh, a curious thing which i want to you know discuss with you and see what you have to think about it is like the agile manifesto came in 2001 right so it's a really long back it's almost the same time that you joined the industry and uh, often i run into people who said who say that okay you know this is 2021 uh, by this time, I would say, you know, uh, working in cross-functional small teams and focused on small chunks and increments of, of software should be common knowledge, like knowing 
how we collaborate with testers, testing as a function, or collaborating with people, individuals focused on operations, working with design. Uh, and I think that was a very interesting observation because people feel that while this whole manifesto came in 2001, and I think there's a, this DevOps movement in early 2000 and late 2000s where it kind of became quite prominent, it somehow feels that we did not learn because we still see pockets of implementation and also large organizations having to go through the same process of learning through pain, through doing the wrong thing, for doing the, doing, applying the same bad practices. So how do you see from your vantage point, especially also that you have spent some time in academia, like doing your masters, uh, do you see that there is a, essentially an education problem uh, whether coming people coming from universities or people who are doing it like self-learning, like is it a bootstrapping problem? Like they don't have access to good resources and mentors who can really give them the direction as they begin their career. Because it seems like it's a hell long time where this should have been common knowledge within the industry. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I don't have... Um as a specific answer, but I, I think, or I should say in my experience, I find that um, what you learn when you're studying uh, is, is really the basis. So it's quite important to give you, you know, a reference, but it doesn't give you the insights on how organizations actually work. And that's really hard I guess we could have, um, you know, university and, and courses that would be more kind of focusing on on examples and and doing more kind of case study based uh, teaching. That's something that could be improved. But really, you don't get to see the dynamics inside organizations until you you actually work there. And because we are still relatively a young industry, right? Um, there is a lot of <clears throat> legacy in the way of, of thinking and managing, um, not by anyone's kind of fault or bad intention, but it's just the way people are used to to think about organizations and the whole um, software factory idea, to my mind, has been very uh, prejudicial in terms of management thinking that well, we, we just need to get this factory uh, working properly and then, you know, software will come out like magic at the end and everyone will be happy, which I think everyone understands it's it's not really how it works. Um, so that, that has been, I think, um, prejudicial. And also um, you mentioned the, this idea of, of best practices. Um, it actually f took me some time. I used to be quite... Uh, keen on um, processes and, and things like uh, the CMMI maturity framework and um, others, because for me, I guess, as as a, a younger engineer, that gave me a framework to think about and that gave me some um, certainty in the sense of, yes, if we just do this right, we'll get to to a much better state. And so it took me a while to actually understand that that's not going to happen. That's not how things happen. Yes, you need to continuously improve, but it's not like you can 
there isn't a set of, of best practices that you say, uh, we just do this and or we follow these processes and we'll be, be fine um, because there's so much variation in um, organizations, in size and purpose and leadership. And um, that's not, not you know, realistic. And so I think many organizations and as a consultant, I still hear that quite often. No, we need to learn the best practices as if that's something absolute across the industry. And I don't think it is. Um, yes, we need to, to be aware of good practices and good approaches, but we always need to do the thinking around how does this apply in our organization or you know, how are we going to experiment and see and understand if this works or this doesn't. So there's a lot of rush, if you like, in organizations to expecting to do a one-step change, right? So let's, if we adopt this, even with team topologies, uh, organizations, I think we just adopt team topologies, we reorganize, uh, redefine the teams, and we'll be, we'll be, we'll be done. When it's really a lot more about the learning and how do you actually have this learning cycles where let's experiment, let's try this and see what happens and see if that improves or not. Um, and so I think those are the reasons. Agile, for example, it's it's I think it's not um, by chance that it's about principles and uh, the manifesto. It's not Agile manifesto wasn't telling you to do Scrum or to do these sort of meetings. It was much more loosely defined because it was about the principles so that then the organizations can see, okay, if we value more delivering working software, if we value more um, collaboration, then how do we need to change compared to where we are now? And so that question cannot be answered in the same way for all organizations, right? It depends on the context. And with DevOps, even even was was even looser than that, where uh, people who started sort of the movement like Patrick Debois or um, Gareth Rushgrove and so on, they basically they wanted a space to to talk about the the, the challenges around development and operations at the time. They that's why there isn't there wasn't a definition or there wasn't a, a very concrete. Uh, focus was just okay. DevOps is about the kind of challenges we see in the relationship between teams, in the way we deliver software. So it was both technical and cultural. It just depends what you know, what challenges you have, and 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 it was a way to to start conversation around that. Obviously, it has sort of been adopted by mainstream, and uh, a lot of the vendors were trying to to make it look as a sort of product and tooling thing. Um, and that's just only one aspect. So I think those movements are, are uh, were purposely very loosely defined, if you like, was not about specific best practices because that, that doesn't really work well. Right, right. I really liked, I think I picked up a lot of interesting points. I think especially, especially the part around best practices not being absolute. I absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, knowing how to apply it and experiment it and see if things are working. It, it's fascinating. And I think very important point that you mentioned. Um, yeah. I like I, to talk about go good practices. You say. I just, I prefer to call them, look, these are some good practices. This work well for many organizations. So that's why we, we know they're good, but they're not 
universally good, right, or universally uh, best or necessarily to, to your organization. Absolutely. And I think it also rallies to the point that you talk about with Matthew in the book about, you know, organizational experiments being designing teams are more intentional and being deliberate instead of just letting things take their own course. Uh, I, I like also I kind of connect the dots to there. Um, I also kind of feel that uh, the old school factory model when it when they saw agile manifesto, I think processes and rituals really came like, okay, let's take this and turn this into a factory. <laughs> uh, I think that's like, you know, the the old meets the new, but they try to somehow retrofit uh, the mindset and the manifesto principles into something that can be turned into a factory model. So I think that's where the conflict is. And I, I, I would love to obviously spend a lot of time with you on that, uh, given an opportunity, but I know we are on a restricted time uh, today. And I really wanted to get to know more about you. So for me, I think it'll be very interesting to see like, what was the time in with you and Matthew when you were working essentially? Like when does this idea of the book emerged in your minds? Like, okay, this has to be a book and this is the form of book that we will write and pre create for the world. Yeah, that was uh, an evolution really. Um, so I started working with Matthew in 2015 as consultant and he had published, I think the year before or a year and a half, um, a blog post about what he called DevOps topologies. So that's how I actually met him. I was at the conference in London, uh, QCon London, um, back in 2015. And I was, I used to be, well, I'm still editor for the InfoQ website. I'm not active anymore, but at the time I was doing a lot of writing around DevOps. And Matthew gave a presentation, which was, most of it was about teams and he was talking about different ways to, to set up teams for DevOps, right? Um, and so as, as we started working together and consulting for roughly, um, well, between 2015 and, and when the book came out, um, we had multiple conversations about uh, the, what we were seeing that was working at the clients or not. Uh, we tried things like this idea of the, the stream aligned teams, uh, decoupling this, this large monoliths. How can we kind of find the, the fracture planes that we talk about in the book? Um, and then the patterns like, well, we actually need, um, you know, an enabling team or we need a sort of platform team. All those things were taking shape, actually working with clients. And then also big influence was the DevOps Enterprise Summit that started, I think, around, if I'm not mistaken, 2016 or 2017, um, where we were hearing these stories from fairly large organizations. That's why it's, you know, as the DevOps Enterprise Summit focused on, on enterprises. And, and some of those stories were matching our experience as well in terms of patterns like, uh, yes, they, other organizations have tried this platform pattern with um, focus on, on self-service, focus on, you know, APIs and, and non, not blocking the, the, um, the product teams. So, so basically, we're getting also this confirmation sort of from the external world um, to us that 
some of these patterns were also being applied at the same time in other organizations successfully. And we had many conversations and at some point we said, okay, we really need to, to write this book. And we were fortunate that IT Revolution, uh, who are who is the, the publisher that also organizes the DevOps Enterprise Summit, that they were interested in uh, in um, publishing the book, and that gave it even. Um, we started with a, dr a first draft that was probably very uh, academic sounding in the way it was written, and so the the editors at IT Revolution did a great job to to kind of guide us into look. This needs to be more of a um, a story, if you like, or you know, it needs to be more of an experience for the reader to kind of build up the the ideas, and and so it it has to to change, and that really helped make the book much better than what we had initially. Um, so now, when I when I'm asked by people who's thinking to write a book, I I always tell them, yes, you need you know to have your ideas, your experience you want to share, but that's only that's probably the, this. The, the smallest step, the, the hard thing is then to actually get that into written form that it's also very uh, readable and um, mm -hmm. easy to 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 grasp. Absolutely. Uh, what was the things that you enjoyed while writing the book and things which you felt that, oh boy, <laughs> writing book is hard. So what was those experiences <laughs> like? Um, I I quite enjoyed the so the book has multiple case studies, so that was really really great to to talk to some of these people to hear what they have been doing, and then you know how that fits into with the book right because obviously before the book was published no one was adopting team topologies as it didn't exist but some of the patterns and some of the the, the goals that we have in the book were um, common to some organizations that we talked with. So that was quite a, quite interesting. And even things that came up sort of um, unexpectedly or that we hadn't planned, like I, I, we talk about the company called OutSystems, which is actually a sort of um, unicorn, right? Um, which started in Portugal in in my hometown and and uh, so I know some of the some of the people who work there. We've been um, organizing a DevOps Lisbon meetup together as well. And so just from you know conversations I was having with them was like, okay, this was actually super interesting to to include in the book about you know splitting teams into smaller teams with more autonomy, with more purpose. Um, so those were were very enjoyable. The, the difficult part of writing the book is obviously deadlines. So um, first of all, the the book publishing industry is very waterfall like. <laughs> I obviously there are some some good reasons and uh, in terms of you know how the actual printing process goes and. How the how the you know you need to get the paper to print the books right and recently uh, actually it's been there's been some crisis with with lack of uh, paper for different reasons and obviously the the pandemic made it worse um, but anyway it's sort of a waterfallish process to publish a book and so basically if you miss a deadline your book might be delayed by at least one year so you 
probably don't, we didn't want that to happen. And so it was a challenge, but it also helped us basically forced us to carve out time from consulting and other things to, okay, we need to do this, this now. We can't just be um, postponing. And uh, that was ended up being helpful to have this, this strong um, deadlines from the, the publisher because otherwise we probably would still be trying to write the book at this point. Yeah, I mean, this picks up my interest now that you talk about deadlines. Like, is there anything that you feel that you wanted in that book, in this book, uh, Team Topologies, that you perhaps could not add it because of deadlines? A little bit, yes. Not just deadlines, but also we had limitation on how, how long the book should be. And again, going back to how much paper and how many copies of the book can be printed. Anyway, a lot of stuff we learned that, that I had no idea before. Um, but basically, there's one thing. In general, I, we don't have many regrets. As we as the book gets you know more popular, more people uh, read it, we get more feedback. And I think there may be a couple of things which maybe we'll be able to address in, in possibly a second edition in, in a few years. Um, one thing is we were going, we initially wanted to write at least uh, a larger section around sort of the boundaries between team topologies and other domains, right? Because again, like I was saying earlier, we don't see team topology as something that you pick up and suddenly your organization is in a much better state than it was a month ago, right? Um, it provides guidance and, and useful patterns to to get started, but you need good engineering practices as well. You need to be having paying attention to agile DevOps, um, and and you know SRE perhaps if that's a, um, a concern in your organization as well. So. I think Team Topologies works quite well combined with other uh, approaches like those, or even you know, worldly mapping for strategy, uh, domain-driven design. And one of the really cool things uh, since the book came out is that we see people who are not book authors, but are pr practitioners, um, well-respected, and who are picking up and uh, combining these ideas, right? Team topologies with worldly mapping, for example, people like Susan Kaiser have done really uh, amazing work around that. Or we see now um, the sort of uh, the rise of the idea of da uh, data mesh, which is sort of also partially uh, based on the ideas from from team topologies. Um, and you know, other people like Nick Tune and Eduardo da Silva. Um, and that's really, really awesome. And I, I think that's super valuable for organizations to look at what have other people done in terms of combining these different ideas. Um, not just, you know, it's not just uh, team topologies by itself that's going to solve all your problems. You need to understand which which problems it's going to solve. Obviously, almost every organization, well, every organization has teams and almost every organization probably will benefit from looking at the ideas and see, hmm, could this help us? Do Should we have maybe you know more explicit interaction modes between teams or should we have a platform that is more treated as a product versus shared services, et cetera? But um, 
yeah, I think the the combination of different domains is is really uh, the most most powerful thing. Fantastic. I think we are coming to the last stretch of our conversation today. Uh, and and just to be very honest, Manuel, if you had time, we could have gone into each of these areas in detail. But I only, but I appreciate you know uh, the time that you gave me anyway. So super, thank you to that. Um, the as we're concluding the our conversation today, I think there are two things that obviously for me it would be great to hear you on that one is around i mean this is something i have spoken to also people who have written other books especially about leaving legacy right so um to some the book is already a form of legacy and to perhaps the others book is a process to get to creating a legacy like the end desired end state that you would like to see where you felt uh you know uh, the whole effort that you put in to meet the deadlines and do all the drill to get the book was justified. So for me, it will be great to hear from you. What do you see as not just the legacy of the book, but I think also for you as a practitioner, as a consultant, as a evangelist and a community builder to see, to leave and uh, what would that be? Um. Well, let me say that for me, the book is, is is more a starting point for this new journey. So um, I kind of see it as as already a legacy. Even you know, between me and Matthew, our thinking on some of the aspects we talk about in the book has evolved as we've seen more um, um, organizations and we've helped different organizations and and we we have more even more insights right so um we actually have now an online academy with video training where one of the goals of that academy is to be able to kind of uh bring this new knowledge make it available um even without having to wait for a, a new book or a new edition of the book right so um we do look at it as evolving. We also have on our website on teamtopologies.com, uh, we have industry examples that came out after the book was published of how different organizations adopted the, some of the ideas in the book, what happened, what were they trying to do. And, and that we, we are continuing to, to evolve and publish more examples as we go. Uh, because like I was saying earlier, Team Topologies is a starting point and we learn from organizations that try to adopt the ideas um, unfortunately there have been a lot of um, success stories but not everything will necessarily work in the way that we expected as authors uh, or that the organizations were expecting would happen um, when they adopted and so for the wider community i think the, the benefit is to see how this evolves you know start with the book but then you get you know new insights from the examples from um, now with the academy uh, videos as well. But for I think everyone should see it as 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 a sort of field, if you like, that is evolving of organization uh, design, organization dynamics, and um, yeah, we we expect to possibly um, publish. A new book in a few years. I think another area that we start to see interest is applying these ideas 
not just within the um, software part of the organization, but actually much broader. Uh, there are already some examples where uh, some companies try to adopt the pat same team patterns to the whole organization, including uh, finance and marketing and uh, leadership. Um, so that's quite interesting. Possibly, I think, is an area where we might end up uh, doing some more kind of in-depth work, whether that's a book or, or something else, so that um, people can see that some of the patterns, even though they are sort of originated in the engineering, uh, space can actually be applied to other areas of the organization. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward for reading that. And I totally see this actually being applied everywhere uh, and not just restricted to the to the technology and software industry. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited what I with, the, with what you're, you both are doing. And I'm, I really appreciate uh, all the insights that you have brought in. My last question to you, Manuel, as we end this, and I ask this question to everyone, is, you know, for someone, like, you know, if you just go back in 2000 and starting your career, graduating from university and coming into the industry, if someone listening to this podcast is in the same boat, like really joining this industry, uh, maybe they are graduating from university or going into the formal uh, profession world through self-learning uh, what would you think you would like to recommend them to like experiences you would like them to have things that they should think about and learn in 2021 um, so that they can take advantage of the things that you and Matthew have develop apart from reading the book itself but would you see what would be the experiences and ideas that you feel uh, people listening to this podcast who are in beginning their careers should should have um if i may my i would give a more kind of um broad answer that is not kind of uh software engineering specific um I think people who are starting in, in the professional world should, um, a couple of things. One is find out what makes you tick, right? For me, it was uh, the curiosity of, of learning and learning more about my profession, learning more about other roles within my profession, other things that I could try, and that sort of kept me moving. For other people, it might be that they want to become really the experts in, in some uh, specific domain of their work, which is also fine. Um, so find out what sort of makes you tick, right? Whether it's it's learning, it's uh, becoming an expert, it's maybe it's the actual collaboration with other teams and, and uh, interactions with other people. So maybe that that's... Uh, there are roles where you'll probably be more likely to to have more of that uh, sort of work because that's going to obviously help motivate you as an individual, but that will also show to the others and, and the others will will benefit from, from your drive as well. Um, so basically, don't uh, think that you must stick to doing one thing or that, you know, we need to follow this path. Um, and it, it can take some time to find out what really motivates you uh, because 
like I said, you won't know how uh, work working organization feels like until you start it. Um, and the other thing, I feel it's important to say that we're starting to have um, more and more awareness of you know mental health, more awareness of uh, you know psychological safety is very important for people to feel uh, good about their work and to feel like they can contribute effectively. Um, and so don't let other people tell you that you know the only way to succeed is to whatever work uh, 20 hours a day or 16 hours a day. Um, that has been for some time it was sort of uh, common to to get this idea that unless you work really hard and you work a lot of hours and you have uh, hobbies with, of around your work, you know, if you're a programmer that you need to do uh, your uh, own projects on GitHub and besides your work, I think um, you need to find what makes your life uh, pleasant and, and uh, balanced. And um, it's not always that, that easy, but listen to to um, signals as well of things that you, you might think, well, this doesn't feel right in the organization. Maybe you feel like you don't have psychological safety or that you know, you're um, not working the right things. Whatever it is that you you should follow your intuition as well, because uh, at the end of the day, you have to find out you know what makes you feel like you're um, having a you know a good contribution and feel motivated. Very well said. So follow your intuition and figure out what makes you tick. I leave it at that. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Manuel. I know it's too late in thank the you. evening. Uh, and you have been an amazing guest. I really appreciate the time that you chose to invest <laughs> in this conversation. And I hope we get together sometime later uh, to get deeper into topics as well. I hope so. It was, it was fun. And I hope uh, people uh, enjoyed the, the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your shoes on the podcast channel including apple podcast spotify overcast pocketcast and others to know more please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com